Hey everybody, Bees with Ben. Got a ripper episode today. A uh, little bit, little bit different. We're going to be talking about bees, but we're going to be talking about other animals. And uh, I've got on the line Michael Church from the Root Keepers. Thank you so much for uh, coming on board here, Michael. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Awesome. This is fantastic. Now, uh, we just mentioned just before we started recording, um, now you live in out in the hills somewhere, so and you have to go somewhere to get reception. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I live out in um, in Mount Edgerton, and we're in a bit of a um, bit of a black spot. So um, to get the best audio possible, I've sort of driven to this reservoir where we get um, two bars of reception. So if we cut out, I apologise, but um, yeah, two birds with one stone. I'm out here cutting gum for the koalas as well. So oh, that's um, awesome, yeah. koalas. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. What well, tell tell us about that? Well, let's jump into it. Koalas. What? So you got koalas? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we've got. Um, uh, we run a, a mobile zoo, so we've got 176 animals last time we counted um, that we look after, and um, we mainly, you know, it's, it's cool to have all these animals, but um, one of the reasons why we have them is we go into schools and kinders and um, we visit birthday parties and corporate events, you know, anyone that pays to listen to us, and we go out there and we, um, you know, spread conservation and education of our Aussie native animals because they need all the help they can get. Oh, they certainly do. They absolutely certainly do. So, so the root keepers, which I'm going to put in the show notes, but uh, social media, um, Insta and Facebook, you on both? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Facebook is just facebook.com slash the root keepers. Um, Instagram's the same thing, just in a search, uh, look up the root keepers. Um, we do have a YouTube channel as well. Um, that's pretty much, pretty much the same thing. Just type the root keepers into, um, in the search bar and you should be able to find something on us. Oh, that's awesome! Now, obviously, we're going to talk about bees shortly, but you know, when you, you've you've jumped in and said koalas, you know, I mean, first off the <laughs> bat, that's just like yeah, just like Mayfair straight away. You know, what I mean, you just yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, so koalas, so that's you know, obviously, with the educational type type components, that's fantastic. Going to schools and and various, obviously, um, fates, birthday parties, that type of thing. Um, so, yeah. so obviously, koalas are they the highlight? They are the highlight when I bring them. Um, we try and restrict their use a little bit because I um, I sort of feel sorry for them in the same sense, sort of, you know, dragging them around to schools and things like that when they should be sleeping for, you know, 18 hours a day. Um, so we're only only governed to use them, I think it's three days a week. Okay. Um, but we don't we don't use them that much. Um, yeah. I mean, if they request it, we'll do it. If they're doing a, a certain topic on it, I mean, we'll bring them in. Um, but it's not a, an everyday thing. So uh, one of the programs we run is a, is a climate change incursion, which is a, one we launched just before COVID. Um, and it's a really cool one to do. I mean, we bring a koala in, we bring some endangered frogs, um, endangered squirrel gliders, some marine life, and we really sort of blend everything together um, to get a really good message across about climate change and then how it's affecting, um, you know, all the animals. So, yeah, and I think bees would be a cool one to bring in there as well, but I think, you know, an observation hive, and then all these other wild animals might be a bit bit difficult. So yeah, it's so so cool, Michael. Absolutely awesome. And um, they, was it 176 animals? Is that the number you said? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's, uh, it goes up and down, but um, yeah, roughly about 176. So a lot of that is um, is their breeding stock. Um, so we we breed with those, and then um, use their young to you know take around to schools um, just to make them nice and friendly and get them conditioned to, you know, being around kids is quite scary. I'm still not used to it after, what, 10 years now we've been operating. Um, kids still 
scare the daylights out of me. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, just just trying to get the animals used to it. Um, so we get them young and, and hand raise them, and, and yeah, they don't really know any different, which is good. Yeah, it's awesome. And and so with that, like the time frame um, is absolutely astronomical. Like I used to, uh, people don't know, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on one of my podcasts, but I was like, used to breed a lot of various snakes and reptiles and colubrids and leopards and a few different Amazon things. Amazon days. Yes, yeah, certainly back in the days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the pet shop and <laughs> doing all that and yeah. doing, the, doing the bees on the side. But it, it was the, the amount of work that you do. Now, obviously, people are seeing like say various animals there you, you go to a school or something you know the work behind you know looking after as you said you just gotta gotta get gum leaves for the koalas now that's they only eat like two different types as far as i know Is that right? uh not so much yeah i mean my koalas will eat anything i give them yeah. um a lot of people say they eat you know two or three different types here in victoria um we know there's you know anywhere from 600 to 800 species of eucalypt depending on who you ask um but um, we say they eat roughly about 30 of them. Um, so we, we get them on um, managum, snow gum, red ironbark, um, peppermint, um, everything around us they eat because it's uh, koala habitat out here, which is always handy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, each koala will eat roughly about a kilo of gum leaves every day. Okay. Uh, if you go out and cut gum and they don't like it, you have to jump in the van and, and go and cut gum again. Yes. Um, so, I mean, they're hard work but also they're not as hard as people think to keep. Um, but, yeah, like all your reptiles and mammals, um, it requires a lot of work and sort of dedication. Um, you know, it's not a nine-to-five job where you can just clock on and clock off. It's um, I'm up at, you know, six, seven every morning, and I work until, yeah, about six or seven at night, um, just maintaining them and out doing shows and paperwork and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's... Um, Super demanding, and I mean, you can't really go out on a holiday with 176 animals. You've got to have someone that really knows what they're doing to um, look after them. So uh, that can also be difficult to try and get away from the zoo. Yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, when we go on holidays, we go visit zoos and you know go to wild places. So um, I don't think we want to escape it. It's just the <laughs> yes. fact that it's hard to you know do anything. Yeah, absolutely love it. Love love the passion. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same with bees. Yeah, I mean, I find I go overseas. I'm looking for beekeepers. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, yeah. Uh, what other and what other species? Obviously, you just sort of rattled off um, a couple of things. But what other you got endangered species? What else? Obviously, reptiles or various mammals. Yeah, so we we keep um, a lot of reptiles. So we've got snakes. Um, so like black-headed pythons, olive pythons, diamond pythons, um, the endangered Victorian carpet python. Um, uh, what else we got? We got frogs, turtles, um, squirrel gliders, potteroos, bedongs, bats, owls, kookaburras, dingoes. Yeah, so the list goes on. Then we got lots of smaller stuff as well, like your um, uh, plains rats, and you know all the people that all the things that people don't really find interesting that I um, absolutely love. All those little small species of animals that um, are sort of undiscovered and unknown. So yeah. And is there a favourite that you have? Michael, is there one particular one that you go, oh, I love love that particular animal? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, her name was Marley. She was a, a dingo. Yes. Um, she used to travel with me everywhere. I had her for, for six years. And about uh, well, two weeks ago now, we went out to her enclosure and uh, found out that she, uh, well, she wasn't doing too well. Um, next day, she was paralysed. We took her into intensive care, hooked her up to life support and um, had to pull the pin on it. But um, she ended up eating a mushroom that was found in her enclosure um and it was yeah a really bad one so um yeah sort of sort of sucks you know you lose the ones you love um yeah it's been a sort of tough two weeks to 
filter it and, and realize that, you know, she's not going to come back and we're not going to get those cuddles anymore. But you sort of, but one of the parts of the job that people don't see is, um, you know, you lose animals and, and, you know, when someone loses a pet, they're down for a few weeks. Um, we've got 176 animals that, you know, are dear to us. And yeah, it's always, always a tough day at work. But I mean, at the same time, um, it can be really rewarding, you know, bringing animals in and raising animals and, and breeding animals that, um, no one else has. So. Yeah, but yeah, Marley, the dingo was one of my favourites and dingoes are still super passionate to me. I think when I first got into them, I just thought, you know, it's just another dog. Um, but learning about them, they're just so much different to dogs. They're really cat-like, they're super smart. Um, they're just an all-round awesome apex predator and we um, need them around in Australia. Yeah, interesting. And so, sorry to hear about Marley. That's, um, yeah. That's no, a- that's all right. It's life. Um, yeah, I mean, we are now, you know, bringing that into our shows and educating people on the dangers of mushrooms in your backyard and what to do if you see them. And um, we've got a little children's book in the works that we're going to, you know, self-publish and just push out and, you know, give it to shows and things like that so they can um, be aware and, and not make the same mistake that we did. So, yeah, I mean, there's sad to it, but at the same time, her, her death isn't going in vain. We've definitely learned a lot from it and hopefully we can teach more people too. Yeah, of course, because you wouldn't think, you know, I mean, just to have a, you know, I mean, a, a mushroom, you know, I mean, you would, you might see it or might not see whatever, but you just don't think that could be something as simple as no. that. No. Yeah. No, I had no idea. Like, we thought she was bitten by a snake. They um, found toxins in her system. And I was like, oh, it's not snake weather. Like, you know, it wouldn't have been a snake, but that's what we sort of sat on for a while. And then we went and searched the enclosure and, you know, found 30 mushrooms, tiny mushrooms popping up in there. And, um, you know, they can uh, they can smell like fish and attract animals over to actually eat them. And um, that's, yeah, what happens. So you wouldn't think it and not many people know about it. And, you know, when we go out and do shows and I tell people, it's only been two weeks, but, um, you know, people are shocked to, to hear that, you know. And I get so many comments on, oh, we've got those in our backyard or, um, you know, even people saying that their dogs have done the same thing and, and eaten mushrooms and passed away. So... Um, yeah, it is a, a pretty common, especially around this time of year when they're all popping up, uh, perfect weather for them. It's a pretty common occurrence. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. Jeez, I would never have thought mushrooms like to, to do something like that. But that's, it's, I suppose there's that, that positive coming out of a negative that you can sort of tell people and, and, you know, I mean, educate, you know, schools. Yeah, because, that's you know, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. memory will always live on as a, as an ambassador. You know, she was a great ambassador to Dingoes. Um, she was one of my main show dingoes and I mean like everywhere we went she was the, the number one animal everyone fell in love with her and um, yeah like just the response when we publicly announced that we couldn't sort of hide it and you know just blow it under the cover sort of thing we had to you know let people know and um, yeah we had one of the that was one of the biggest posts we've ever had on our Facebook I think like 800 likes or something like that and hundreds of comments so yeah yeah, it's, yeah, so so sad. So um, on a on a positive note, um, <laughs> what's um, it making me all sad and and depressed? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's sorry, what, no, as, as you're saying, it, it's you know where there's there's life, there's death, and it's kind of yeah. When when I, I've had a um, this was years ago, I had a Bernese mountain dog I had to get put down, and oh, absolutely kill me. I couldn't work for like yeah. a few days. Like absolutely, I was a mess. Um, absolute mess. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, as you're saying, they're like a part of the family. It's yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially like you know, you know, you're having them in your house and raise them up and whatnot. And um, yeah, I mean, I've got a young family as well, so we got three young girls, and um, they took it really well, which is funny. You know, like they're just like, oh, you know, why are you sad, Dad? Uh, just go up the back and see her, like. 
you know, she's not gone. She's just in heaven or whatever. And, um, you know, one of the girls one night, I was like, oh, Marley might be here sitting on your bed. You never know. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. She can dig. Maybe she's digging underground. You know, like just the things that kids say. Yes. It's yep. hilarious. So yep. it's their perception. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm um, speaking of funny. Is any uh, what's your funniest story? You know, of uh, of doing something because I've got one which I'll tell you in a sec. But is uh, a funny story? You know, you've been doing wildlife demonstrations or you've been cleaning something. Oh, what's yeah. a funny story. Oh, there's plenty of funny stories. I think you know, like one of the worst things that always happens at shows is, um, you know, we work with a lot of younger kids that are you know six, seven years old, and they're the, the perfect height to, um, you know ask you a question so when they go to ask you a question they'll tap you and they tap you in the wrong place and you end up on the ground for five minutes in pain <laughs> um so yeah and it's just, just the stuff they say as well like we were doing a marine program and um uh one of the we we're talking about you know jellyfish and one of the kids was like oh my dad saw a, a jellyfish on the beach and he touched his testicles um just stuff oh, like that you know like he didn't mean to say it. He meant to say tentacles, but you know, just, just yeah, <laughs> just, kids make you laugh. Oh, that's so, so true. That's so true. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Um, that's funny. I'm going to tell you my quick story. This is your, yeah, yeah, go for it. So, as you know, I was sort of involved with animals, and um, uh, this is another lifetime ago. But I had a, a demonstration license too, and I was doing some work with neighbours. Uh, Channel Channel Ten in Nutterwadding. Anyway, I was. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was the rat wrangler. And I had to yeah. I had to train this this rat, and it was this barbecue scene, and uh, where they had this rat in this barbecue. So I had this baby rat from a young one. I spent like two months training in this little rat. It was the cutest yep. thing as my pet. Anyway, it was it come time for the big day. It's um, gonna spend a couple of hours in the studio with this this you know in this rat in this barbecue, and it jumps out. And anyway, unbeknownst to me, like this this rat was all great, but I didn't train it enough, and it was um, the barbecue was a little bit greasy. And it sort of, yeah. the rat, I don't know, the smells and lights and everything, it bit me, right? This rat, and this rat was friendly. I had my kids, you know, which at the start, yeah, like yeah. five years of age and, and young. And this rat bit me. And I'll never forget, I absolutely bled like a stuck pig. And, <laughs> and I just, and it was just like, and, I, oh, there was, and all the commotion, because there's blood everywhere. And it's all this, yeah, com- yeah, yeah. this commotion. Yeah. Of, uh, so I was kind of, um, this, this, this rat. But anyway, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> I gave that rat away. It was, it was never a, Never a dull day working with animals. Ah, oh, so true, Michael. That is so so true. You should uh, should try that with bees, mate. Train some bees up to yeah, yeah, come exa- out of a pub. Exactly. <laughs> now, now speaking speaking about bees, now people are going to be like, right, this yep. is a this is a bee podcast, man. And uh, and I absolutely love what you do. But you do something really cool. So you you're doing incursions uh, where you take some bees and talk about bees and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, well, about four or five years ago now, um, we've been running our programs and. Um, I got interested in bees um, through the flow hive because I watched the documentary and I went, oh, that's cool, and then learnt about it and um, I sort of preferred the traditional method of beekeeping. So um, that's what we started with. And I just started with one hive and uh, told the old man about it and, you know, he was jealous because he always wanted to keep bees too. So um, he ended up jumping on the train and getting a few hives as well and we always used to go back and forth and say, my bees are better, my honey's better, <laughs> yep. rah, 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 bit of a, uh, you know, Barley banter, um, yeah, and then from there we just, um, you know, we were already doing incursions and, and just naturally, um, you know, got an observation hive and, and started taking bees into school. Um, and it was really interesting because, um, for starters, I knew nothing about bees. I was quite a rookie. Um, and secondly, I had no idea how to engage kids for an hour talking about bees. 
Um, and I remember the first show I did, I was like, my God, how am I going to, you know, do this show and, and keep these kids engaged for a full hour? Um, but I found it super easy because bees are such a, an interesting insect, you know, like they, um, they just, you know, you can talk about them for hours, um, and go through everything with them. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to, to get them out. It's, uh, one of our most popular shows in the springtime now. And um, as you might know, you know, a lot of beekeepers are quite old. I mean, you're not old, Ben, but um, <laughs> uh, it, is a, it is an older sport, I guess. Um, you know, we go to a beekeeping meeting. Uh, we used to meet the old man and, you know, I was the only one without grey hair there. Um, <laughs> but they're all, all absolutely awesome people. Like, I love the bee community, but, um, you know, there's just a bit of a missing link there. I know you get out there and do a bit of education yourself, and there's another couple of companies out there, but... Um, you know, we've been working with kids for five years before we started this up. We sort of knew how to engage a group yes. and talk to them and, yeah. and saw that opening to um, go out there and do bee incursions. So, yeah, we started that up. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite shows now, except for when I forget to lock the observation high the night before. Uh, it's always good fun. Yes, yeah, that's awesome. Once again, I put this in the show notes. You know, I mean, people, you know, interested. You know, I mean, like schools. You know, I mean, it's something so important. You know, educating that generation. You know, the importance of bees. You know, I mean, it's just not. Yeah, obviously, people will think honey, and it's but it's more than that. It's this. Um, you know, the, the pollination. I think they're worth six billion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Time. I mean, like exactly. Yeah, you go into Melbourne and you ask kids. You know, where does your food come from? And most of them give you, you know, the supermarket as an answer. Um. They've got no idea about, you know, pollination and, and how important not only bees are, but, you know, other pollinators too. And um, without them, how poor our diet would probably be. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool just to get out there and, and spread awareness and, um, you know, some of the things that bees are facing, especially overseas, compared to our bees here in Australia and how lucky we are for the time being um, to have such a, you know, um, I wouldn't say disease-free, but more disease-free than, than most other countries. Um, yeah, we're really lucky, I guess. Yeah, no, so, so true. Now, now I remember we spoke about this. This was quite a few years ago, and it's amazing when you, you remember things. And and yeah. uh, um, this is – I'll never forget this. Now, tell me if this worked or not, because I remember you're putting some bees on a roof. I think it was near town, might have been Port Melbourne, to see if it would keep the seagulls away. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't in Melbourne. It was, um, Where was in that? Ballarat. Ballarat, that's right. Um, Sorry, Ballarat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, through COVID, I was working. Um, I had to sort of take a peg down and, and get a job and, and try and keep the zoo afloat that way. So I was working um, at a fruit and veg store, and they had a, a massive problem with seagulls nesting under their solar panels on their roof. Um, and, you know, I just joked about it and said, oh, we'll throw a beehive up there and see how it goes. And they turned around and said, yeah, no worries. And I was like, the hell's going on here? Um, we had nowhere to, like, we keep our bees out in Mount Edgerton, which is very, you know, sort of monoculture, I guess. It's, it's peppermint that flowers once every three years. Where's that? It'd be quite hard to, the uh, M- Mount Edgerton. Yeah, well, yeah where's, that? where's that? Yeah. So on a map, would you say to people so they get an idea of where that is? Uh, uh, from Melbourne, heading towards Ballarat. Okay. On the left-hand side, just near Balan, if anyone knows okay. where that is, yep. past Bacchus Marsh. Yep. Yeah, out that way. So um, we had one really good season. Every other season's been super difficult to try and sort of keep them going. Um, but, yeah, so we moved our bees um, onto this rooftop and um, they were like, oh, yeah, you can put a couple of highs up there. Um, I think our interpretation of a couple is a little bit different because uh, <laughs> we've got eight, eight highs up there. Um, 
which is pretty funny. And um, yeah, do you think it works, Ben? What do you reckon? Oh, that is, that, that is a good. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. I because I've never never tried it, never experienced, never heard anyone talk about it, with the exception of you. So, Mike, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. So this is I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. I'm going to say it worked for a short period of time, but the seagulls. A pretty smart, shifty little bird. So they, um, yep. they sort of know where to go. So they go close to the high, but not that close. No, it works hundred percent. Oh, it works. Yeah. So there was about one hundred and fifty seagulls that were nesting on the roof under solar panels, eggs everywhere. Um, the first day I went up there to inspect the roof, we opened up the manhole, and and they were swooping us. And oh wow! It was it was absolute chaos. Um, we put a hive up there. Actually, we, we put three up there to start with, and um, we opened up the entrances. The bees flew out, did their navigation flight, and then just started chasing these seagulls around. <laughs> I just remember seeing a bee chasing a seagull. I don't even know how I saw it with my eyes, but uh, I've got laser eye surgery now, so I've got laser eyes. Um, so, yeah, like chase the, the seagulls away. Within a few days, there were no seagulls. I mean, they'd be floating around. They'd fly over it. And go, you know, that's my house. But um, you know, we'd um, beg to differ. And ever since then, they've been up there for nearly a year now, um, nearly a full year, and there hasn't been a single seagull land on that roof. So, yeah, how and funny this, is that? This, yeah, this this business was going to pay twenty five thousand dollars to get their roof netted. Um, yeah, which is really cool because um, you know all the seagulls moved from this roof. Uh, down to Big W on the main street. So I was like, oh, this is bloody awesome. I'm going to go knock on their door and ask them if they, uh, if they want beehives on their roof, you know, save a bit of money. So, um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's actually um, worked really well. Um, yeah, like we haven't seen any signs of seagulls landing or nesting ever since we've put the hives up there. Um, yeah, and there's no danger to the public. The public has no idea they're there. Um, you know, in the peak of the season, there'd be half a million, 700,000 bees up there yes. flying around and um, no one's got any idea they're there. They'll come down to the trees and, and um, in the car park. I remember the um, the hedges in the car park flowered and the bees just went nuts on it and they just <laughs> covered these bushes. And yeah. I was like, yeah, they're not mine. Yeah, I don't know where <laughs> they came from. But um, yeah, no, it works really well. So we've got um, eight hives up on one warehouse roof. Um, the same business. We've got three hives up in another roof in a different location. Um, and then we've got a couple of backyard hives in Ballarat as well. We've got one outside in Mount Edgerton, which I use for my shows. And then we've got a few hives down in Melbourne. So, yeah. That's awesome. I, I just, it's almost like the ultimate sort of uh, like bi- biological control, you know, using the bees to, to keep the seagulls away. That, that is brilliant. Yeah. There you go. I, I was, yeah. Yeah. I was blown away that it even worked because, you know, like, oh, they were like, do you think it'll work? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll work. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, I hope it works. Um, and it did. So, yeah, they're wrapped. They, um, they saved a bit of money. And um, I'm wrapped that I've got a, a new roof space. The only the hard part is, is working in it. I mean, it's a massive roof, but um, getting up and down can be quite a uh, tedious task. We rigged up this little um, harness. You sit a beehive inside this cage and then rig it up through a manhole and the manhole is only about 800 wide by yeah 800 by 800 so it's pretty small you can yeah. just get a yeah. human body through there and we're lifting beehives up through this uh through this warehouse so yeah all went smoothly which is really good 
That is so cool. I absolutely love that. I'm just thinking that there's a market. Uh, oh yeah, for, for doing something like this because it's just a it's a win win. So yeah, you know I mean the client gets rid of their seagulls or, or, or probably pigeons for that matter. You know that's in the sky. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then they get a get a bucket of honey at the end of the end of the day too. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, you know, you drive around Melbourne and you see how many roofs are actually netted and and um, you know how many seagulls are floating around. Um, yeah, I, I think we got lucky. Um, I assume it would work in other places, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. Absolutely love that. That's that's so so yeah. so cool. And so with so with the bees, so what obviously you're busy, you know, you've got obviously three girls, so you've got a young family, you've got hundred and seventy six yep. animals, you know, you've got bees yep. on the go. But so on the bee front, so what's your are you gonna do more as far as the, the bee business side of things, or are you happy where it is now? What's what are your plans there, Michael? Oh, uh, I'm I'm happy as a hobbyist at the moment. Like we've got a our Instagram page that we have for our Honey business is called Church Honey Co. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You can find us on on Instagram. It's only got about six pictures up there at the moment, but um, yeah, it's more of a hobby than anything. I mean, <clears throat> the um, bee education is is where we um, sort of get our revenue through there, and, and we can expand our collection that way. But um, yeah, as for actual beekeeping and, and honey production and stuff, it's pretty small scale. So um, the shop that we um, have the beehives on, they want to stock our honey. So I mean. You know, everything that we get from there will go downstairs and um, be sold on the shelves, which is really cool as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to have a hundred hives, and and I mean, I love them, but I don't want to turn it into a job where you know it's something I have to go and do every day. I love just going out there and, and doing it for fun. Um, yeah, and there's also, you know, like uh, me and my dad did the math, and you know, if, if we ran a hundred hives by the time we pay for you know, yes. equipment and our time and whatnot. You know, it's um, it's not a like a super lucrative business. So I guess you just sort of do it for the love. But um, yeah, I mean, you can make a living out of it for sure. But um, it's not our bread and butter sort of thing. We yes. like doing yep. education and going out to schools, and and that's where we sort of um, make our cheddar and and yeah, sort of pump it all back into the zoo. So that's cool. And, and your dad, so he helps with the bees too. So managing them, he's sort of interested with the bees. Yeah, sure yeah. So. Uh, it's funny because I, I learned to fly. Uh, I've got a couple of flying lessons and I'm really interested in flying because I'm so scared of heights, I think. Um, and then Dad was like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, I was learning to fly as well. And then um, I was getting into bees and he was like, oh, I really want to keep bees. I've always wanted to. I was like, have you got any other hobbies that I don't know about that I should take up? Um, so, yeah, we um, got into it together and, and it's really funny, I guess, because we've got that, you know, father-son time together. but. Um, He's um he's a very smart person and um you know he tries to outsmart me all the time and, and try and correct me and whatnot um and I just love it you know he'll go out there with our gloves on or you yes. know just wearing wearing a jacket and I'm like Dad you're going to get stung no 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 I'll be right and then I'm standing there nice and protected and my Dad's running down the hill uh, <laughs> yeah. with you know stings all over him um so yeah it's um yeah it's a really cool thing to get in together um yeah. That's, it's so interesting. It's, it's so interesting you talk about like, obviously with uh, with flying because uh, I was talking to a mate of mine, uh, Tristan, and um, he's a uh, he's a pilot uh, as a side, sort yep. of as a uh, recreational pilot, and um, it's just amazing. So many people I've helped with bees and sold bees to myself are pilots, and it's just incredible the amount of obviously there's like this 
this uh, marriage between you know being a pilot and and keeping bees. It's absolutely fascinating. yeah, right. I think the uh, the fascination of flying, maybe you know, like you know, bees can fly like a fighter jet when they want to. And, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Being up in the sky with them. Exactly. The old, a, drone, yeah. the old drone pilot. <laughs> Exactly, that's so. Uh, that's so true. And uh, and what about your business? Obviously, you spoke about sort of the the B side of things. So, is there any sort of new other new cool critters you're gonna get soon, or is there any sort of anything on the wish list, Michael? Yeah, um, no, not really. Like we're pretty content with where we are. Um, we've got two vans that run at the moment. We had a third, but we got rid of it, and now we need it again. Um, but yeah, we I'd lo- like I'd love to get things like echidnas and a few more species of birds and, and things like that. Um, at the moment, 176 animals is, is sort of just enough for two vans. It's, um, it sounds pretty crazy, but that's the sort of this is the sort of numbers you have to have to run two vans. Um, and then just up from there is, is you know, we're going to have to get another 100 plus animals to get another van on the road. So pretty content just uh, doing what we're doing. But yeah, like I'd love to get echidnas. Um, I'd love a quokka or two. Um, yeah, we're looking at getting some barking owls and, um, yeah, some other really cool things. But, um, you know, they're all plans and plans always fall through. So uh, we'll see how we go. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I love the quokkas. It's, um, oh, yeah. They've got to be the cutest faced animal, Australian animal ever, I reckon, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. We used, we used to have one in our collection. Um, I got it given to me. It was a really old one. So it was about like 14 years old and oh, I don't really live for that long. So. Um, yeah, he was a really old boy. He was on like arthritis, you know, treatment and whatever. Um, he just sort of came to our zoo to live out his life. And, um, he was cute as, but, you know, every time you went into his enclosure, he'd just grab your ankles and try and bite you. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. it was a bit of a feisty quack, you know, like, I'm like, oh, I should be trying to take selfies with you, but you're trying to kill me. So, um, but yeah, like Rottnest Island's really cool for that. People go over there and, and see the quackers and get selfies with them. And it's, um, good to get people out to nature as well so. yeah, to- totally agree and uh just yeah. want to just want to say keep up your amazing work michael and i really appreciate your time because you know the educational of, of letting people know the importance of you know obviously bees but you know australian fauna you know what i mean is absolutely amazing so yeah. i just want to say you know keep up that great work and uh i'll put anyone looking for a show or any information or as i said i'll put your uh, details in the show notes so um absolutely awesome and i'll let you drive home how far is that drive home to get Oh, it's only about ten minutes. So I usually come out this way to cut gum because no one's out here. So okay, um, yeah, a bit of bit of roadside gum and whatnot. But um, yeah, we have got a couple of properties that we go on as well that has about six hundred acres of plantation blue gum. Um, but yeah, no, not a, not a bad drive home. That's yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate your time, mate. You take care. That's right, mate. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. That's all. Thanks, mate. Take care.